This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Each week we preview and review all the big business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How are you? I'm pretty good, although it's been a fairly bleak week, has it not, for markets. The sort of growing realisation that all the economies of the world are continuing to be hit by the pandemic, and that is going to continue for some months to come. We've had, of course, the Chancellor's big speech, in which they build it as a sort of winter statement for job support measures and so on, and plenty going on in the United States as well. What do you want to start with? Shall we start with the latest numbers as far as European stocks are concerned, which are heading for their worst week since June? It definitely feels like winter has almost arrived. We've been dreading this period now for many months. For many months, epidemiologists have been warning that as bad as it's been up until now, winter is effectively the ideal. Um, the, let me just try again. Winter is effectively the ideal conditions in terms of viruses uh, like these. These respiratory illnesses uh, do tend to thrive in the winter period because of the proximity to people, because of the conditions, the humidity, etc. And it feels like that's almost arrived a little bit early. And now we've got this kind of perfect storm of downside risk events uh, as far as these markets are concerned. And that's really sapped investor appetite. We've seen it actually building for a few weeks now. The tech sell-off started a few weeks ago. And that seems to have kind of preempted everything that's kind of uh, followed. And it, like I say, it's a culmination of factors. We've got the rising number of COVID cases primarily across Europe at this point. We've got the restrictions which started being imposed. Initially, was just simple travel restrictions on areas that were seeing more than 20 per 100,000 uh, cases. And that was being implemented in the UK. The UK situation's got worse than others. We're seeing more and more restrictions on what people are and are not allowed to do. We've gone from people being encouraged to go into the office to encouraged to uh, work from home. And you can only see these restrictions heading in one direction and we've now had these emergency measures as well from Rishi Sunak which we'll touch on shortly if you add on to that uh, the fact that we're going we're six weeks away five six weeks away now from the US election that's hugely uncertain this is going to be um, an extremely unusual presidential uh, election one that we're not going to learn the results of potentially for days or weeks Uh, and we're already hearing um, hearing tones now from Donald Trump suggesting that he he would affect that he could potentially dispute the result. I mean that throws up a huge amount of uncertainty for these markets in an already highly uncertain period. The economic data has not been what it could be. Uh, again, particularly across Europe, the PMIs this week clearly highlighting the fact that this consumer-driven uh, consumer-driven recovery has hit a stumbling block, um, uh, and that more stimulus is going to be needed, like we've seen in the UK. Uh, on top of that, we've got a, a fiscal void uh, in Washington, uh, with Congress failing to pass their stimulus measures, which a number of economists and uh, professionals, the Fed included, have suggested could severely hamper the uh, the U.S. economy in the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, and to f- to finish it off, uh, we have the Federal Reserve, who have done an extraordinary job in this crisis so far. Who investors assumed, especially under this new framework, would be announcing more stimulus measures. 
don't seem to be that keen to announce new stimulus measures yet. And it seems all of this has just contributed uh, to this uh, U-turn uh, in risk appetite. Uh, and we've seen a big, a big impact this week and the next few weeks. It's hard to see much of a bullish case, if I'm perfectly honest. Things are bad now. Can you imagine if there was a dispute over the result of the US election and this thing dragged on for weeks and weeks and weeks and uh, who knows what beyond that? I mean, it's sort of a call for civil war if he doesn't like the result, if it doesn't go his way. At the moment, yes, things are bad, but they could get worse. Absolutely, I think they could, they could get much worse if you if we get to election night and you see a disputed result. I mean, there's a reason why uh, Republicans have been um, uh, have been stressing that uh, that that's not the case and that no that, that they must uphold the the democratic uh, good name of the, of the U.S. and that they don't want to be uh, like many other countries out there where where you see leaders clinging on to power for dear life. Uh, that they would accept uh, a result regardless of what uh, Trump is saying. And, and as always, you've got to almost take what Trump says with a pinch of salt. I think at times he says things to rile up his base rather, uh, and almost to lay the excuse early rather than things he would necessarily stick to. I can't imagine that we're, we're, we're facing a scenario where in two months Donald Trump is being dragged out of the White House by the army. I can't imagine that this is a scenario that we're actually facing. But I do think he, he, he thinks it's going to be important during this election when he is lagging in the polls so much to ensure that every, uh, every person in the US that considers themselves Republican gets down to the polls and votes that night and gives him as a, an earlier lead as possible because the, the, the polls, while narrowing, are still very much heavily in Joe Biden's favour. So I think you've always got to take things that Trump says with a pinch of salt. Uh, but you, you, you've seen that uh, this is having an impact. And it, I do think it is having an impact on the markets. It is now seen, again, as a major risk event. Yes. And uh, if it was anything like as close as it was in 2000, uh, when it was a matter of a few hundred votes in a small district of Florida between uh, you know, an Al Gore presidency and a George W. Bush one, then I'm goodness knows, I can't imagine... Uh, Donald Trump behaving in the same fairly honourable way that Al Gore did at that point and accepted the result. But let's move on uh, to the UK, Craig. And uh, yes, we had uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak's statement uh, earlier on in the week. The support measures for jobs wasn't exactly greeted with much optimism or huge applause, more sort of resignation, really. He did come up uh, with some useful measures, but after you know being spoiled, I suppose, for months and months uh, with this furloughing scheme, which has been free money for a lot of people, it's sort of back to bump, uh, back to sort of a normal, a, a sort of normal scenario where, yes, he's giving, but he's also taking away to a certain extent. Yeah, and the I think the announcement in itself actually really pretty much falls into line with what we've seen across the rest of Europe, and when you're looking at. Um, uh, when you're looking at the main union body and you're, you're talking about the British Chamber of Commerce, I think they've broadly um, acknowledged that the scheme that's been announced does um, cover a lot of bases and is uh, uh, and is largely suitable, maybe slightly less generous as far as the TUC is concerned, but is... Uh, largely in line with the type of scheme which they wanted to see announced. I think a lot of the criticism has come in that it's not particularly uh, flexible in terms of covering people who uh, who have been far more whose jobs have been far more impacted by the pandemic and by the latest restrictions. People who can't work, who do have a long-term viable job but short-term would not be deemed uh, viable 
Uh, and I think that's where some of the criticism has come in for as far as it's concerned. It is far less generous than the furlough scheme, but at some point that had to happen. Uh, it, it's effectively saying to employers, look, your doors are no longer being forced to close. So what we want you to do is open them, employ the people that you employ. And as long as they're working a third of their normal hours, then their, their, then their salary will be topped up two thirds um, two thirds of the remainder by the government. And that's their way of saying, we're gonna look after jobs as much as we can, but they have to be viable jobs. They're not going to cover all bases. It's almost impossible with a scheme like this. Uh, a scheme that covers all bases has to be incredibly complex. And that's extremely difficult and just leaves the government um, kind of open uh, to, to, to major issues. I think some of the biggest criticism actually come from the other announcements that we've had, really. It's the, the, the opening hours uh, as far as pubs and restaurants are concerned forcing them to close at 10 p.m. That's where the biggest criticisms have come. That's where many people are saying that that's going to be horribly damaging as far as the hospitality industry is concerned and almost to an extent no longer makes their businesses viable, whether it's actually better to tell them to close than it is to tell them to close that early because of how much important trade they do uh, in the time after. But would you say that's true with the uh, all of the hospitality trade? I mean, restaurants, for instance, I mean, a lot of people will go reasonably early and leave by 10 yes i agree with you when it comes to the pubs and the bars uh but yeah i mean they have that option to close i i i take what they're saying and what you're saying but the government can't win one one way or another they're either going to be too lenient or too strong no but i think the thing that people take issue with is the fact that the government has hasn't presented evidence that the coronavirus is spreading during that later period we all understand the theory if you've had a few too many to drink you are less likely to follow the rules we've all done it uh, myself included and i'm sure yourself included really you surprise me a little bit. <laughs> yeah exactly um but so you understand the logic, you understand the theory, but I think what many of these businesses are very frustrated with is the lack of evidence to support it. Uh, the UK government apparently following a model that was introduced in Belgium that proved to be uh, uh, apparently successful, but without the evidence to support the judgment, what you're effectively doing is is costing these businesses a crucial part of their trade uh, and seemingly just almost on a whim. Uh, and for, th for those businesses, that's not, that's not acceptable. Uh, and it, it, it turns them from being able to remain afloat to being in great peril. Uh, and so therefore you can understand the frustration. And it's almost that's the type of thing that's caused more uh, pandemonium really over the course of the last couple of days, more so than the actual uh, the new job support scheme that, that Sunak uh, and business support scheme and self-employment support scheme uh, that, that Rishi Sunak did announce. Yes, and we've had some eye-watering borrowing figures. Well, the UK government borrowing nearly £36 billion in August. Uh, that is the highest amount for August since records began. And uh, that is a, a strong indicator of how many uh, months we're going to be going uh, when the government is in peril, when it can't actually raise the money it needs. The figures are stark, but they're going to be stark for all countries. It shows just how expensive these support schemes have been, but they've been extremely necessary as well. It, it, you, it's hard to argue with the fact that there'd be a great many people who'd now be unemployed if it wasn't for these support measures. We're going to see in a couple of months' time when the figures come out for November unemployment just how devastating the, the, the pandemic 
uh, and the restrictions that have been imposed as a result have been on employment as it is. And that is with the furlough scheme and with the new job support measures. As I say, the only other criticism I've really seen of uh, Rishi Sunak's announcement is how late in the day, and it was the opposition chancellor, the, the shadow chancellor, uh, asking why is it that employers were effectively told that that, that, that they needed to uh, alert the government uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, um, with regards to uh, the, with regards to the relevant schemes that were in place, uh, and now they've announced it. Like, why was that certainty not provided for business in order to them for them to yeah. maintain the staffing levels? That's one of the criticisms, and that's the type of thing that could come out in uh, in the data over the course of the next couple of months. We are going to see a sharp spike, but it's going to be nowhere near as bad as it would have otherwise been, uh, and it's always going to be difficult to compare and contrast the cost to the exchequer, but I'm sure most people will agree would much rather have 7 or 8% unemployment with this bill that comes with it over 15, 20% unemployment and a far more, uh, a far more uh, significant uh, benefits bill and then the horrendous task of trying to find employment for all these poor people once again. Yes, and those virus figures, yes, they are on the up, but if you look at the hospitalisation numbers, they are comparatively very low indeed and uh, there are all sorts of theories and reasons behind that which we won't go into now so there there is some cause for optimism that we won't hit the the lows of uh, april and and may when things were were so bad that the country was really more or less uh, at a standstill i just want to ask though your, your view and the city's view and market's view would they have wanted rishi sunak to extend the furloughing scheme as it is beyond perhaps to the end of the year? Would that have made the markets feel a little bit more optimistic or was that never on the table? I'm not sure it would have made the markets feel more optimistic per se. Um, There's the human element which you'd say if the next few months are going to be as hard as they are, then you could understand the, the need and the want to protect uh, the unemployed or to protect the to be unemployed and especially the most vulnerable uh, people in society so you you could certainly make a case for that but it, you always have to weigh that up against just how beneficial it's actually going to be uh, and just how uh, just j- j- the, the way the cost up versus are you just delaying the inevitable and I think that was ultimately the the decision from uh, from the treasury and it's a decision that other countries have already come to uh, ahead of us the uk fellow scheme was the was among the most generous out there but it's a it's a decision that others have come to it which is you if you're just delaying the inevitable then what exactly uh, is the point it's not nice for those who have become unemployed that that goes without saying uh, becoming unemployed in this in this particular market must be absolutely horrendous um, but from the Treasury's perspective, chasing, throwing bad money, money after good isn't necessarily a wise solution anyway when, when debt to GDP is already must be around 100% of GDP at this point. And we're looking over the other side of the Atlantic at that need for more fiscal stimulus or certainly those calls. And we, we heard Steve Mnuchin and Jay Powell uh, give speeches to Congress. What did we learn? Not, uh, not, not an enormous amount, if I'm honest. I think both agree that more stimulus is needed. Uh, uh, Jerome Powell was uh, keen to stress that the Fed is ready, waiting, and, and there's plenty more that it can do. But obviously, as we saw at the meeting last week, that doesn't mean that they are ready or, or willing to actually act right now or that they deem it to be entirely necessary. That doesn't mean they won't at some point. But the markets were obviously disappointed last week to see that the Fed didn't signal more stimulus was coming. 
Congress can be as willing to uh, to agree a new stimulus plan all they want, but if they're not close to uh, a compromise, then all the, all the best intention in the world isn't going to see many of these people in the US through this tough winter period. The Democrats are, I believe, drawing up a $2.2 trillion package uh, as we speak, but there's no more hope that that is something that's going to get part by the Republicans in the Senate. So again, it seems to be almost a lot of wasted effort. Hopefully they can come to a compromise before the election, because otherwise it's going to be a massive, uh, it's, going to, it's going to be a massive problem as far as the US economy is concerned. And again, that's something that Jerome Powell was very keen to stress and others have been very keen to stress is the negative implications for growth for the US in the fourth quarter, if, if a stimulus package isn't passed, is going to be hugely significant. And I was previously confident that a package would be passed in September. Now I'm not confident that it will be passed before the election because there just doesn't seem to be any willingness on either side to compromise to any significant degree. OK, before we let you go, uh, Craig, what about next week? What are you looking forward to? So I think the obvious standout event next week is the US jobs report. And again, you can always take these numbers with a, with a pinch of salt because they're so much more difficult to read than they typically are. Obviously, last uh, last month, more than 1.3 million jobs were created. How do you put that into real perspective in terms of, uh, of what that kind of means as far as the, the economy is concerned? But it's obviously one that's going to be extremely closely followed. So I think that's your, naturally your standout event. You do have a bunch more PMIs and income and spending and inflation figures from the US. So I think next week is a very data uh, heavy week. Uh, so I think that's going to be the key thing. Uh, but I think it, it's also really difficult to just look past the general pessimism that's growing in the markets right now. As I say, uh, the markets today are pretty negative. We're recording this prior to the open on Wall Street. Wall Street's actually looking a little bit flat at this point. But you can see the risk appetites have taken a significant blow uh, over the course of these last few weeks. And we're not seeing any signs of these stabilising in the next few weeks. Does, as I say, pose many downside risks. So I think the, the sen- market sentiment is going to be the thing that could be the key thing to be watching next week. But with the rising number of COVID cases again, uh, being at the forefront of people's minds, the election is just going to become more and more dominant. There, there is so much to follow these. The markets between now and the end of this year, I think, are going to be uh, incredible to watch. Indeed. These are extraordinary times. Craig, have a very good weekend. Speak to you again same time next week. Thank you. You too. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.